will be made clear. Hopefully. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord God, we thank you that you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. Pray that now you'd soften our hearts and open our eyes that we might see the boundless riches of Christ in your word and experience it in our life. And we pray this for Jesus' glory's sake. Amen. Most pastors will probably tell you that the main uh, question that people have about the Christian life centres on the area of assurance. Uh, People would ask the question, can I, a Christian, can I fall away? Or they might put it more personally, and they might say, how can I be sure I'm a real Christian? How can I be sure for certain that I actually know God? Might I one day fall away? Uh, from Christianity? How can I be sure that at the end of my life I'm going to make it into heaven? And I assume that for many of us here that will be a real question, a real fear and a real struggle in the Christian life. That's why it's great to be here tonight and it's great to be looking at Ephesians together. Uh, It's a a one night thing, It's, uh, it's not a series that's going to continue But can I encourage you to read the whole book of Ephesians? It is brilliant. John Calvin said uh, it's his favourite book in the whole Bible. Uh, And I really like John Calvin. I think he's brilliant. Um, So two things that I'm hoping that we're going to see tonight. Firstly, the Christian is entitled to cast iron assurance. And we're going to be really encouraged as we go through this. And we know this tonight from Ephesians. Secondly... The kindness of God shown to us through Jesus Christ excludes boasting. So those two things. So by way of introduction, Paul is probably writing this letter um, as one of his last letters. He's typing it from a Roman prison. Uh, In chapter 6, verse 20 of Ephesians, uh, we're told that Paul's in chains uh, for the gospel. This is a letter of a man nearing the end of his life And so what the Apostle Paul has to say, this right-hand man of God, what he has to say will be profoundly important for us tonight. Well, I'd be greatly encouraged if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians 2 uh, and we could go through that together. Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, there are only two types of people in this world. You're either, like this chicken, you're either dead like a frozen chicken, or you're alive. Now, there's a couple of pregnant ladies here tonight, uh, and uh, I was kind of hoping that my baby was going to be born so I could use this illustration. Uh, But just imagine imagine there's a baby uh, in this uh, pushchair. There's a little scan picture on the front. So we've got a picture of death and life. Okay, The Bible says there's only two types of people in this world. You're either dead or you're alive. Look at verse 1 with me. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Notice this is in the past tense. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul says, at one time, we were dead, spiritually speaking, towards God. For a number of years, I was uh, not living as a Christian. I was dead. I was failing to listen to God and his words. I was like this frozen chicken from Tesco's. Uh, in front of us, spiritually speaking, if you go with the metaphor. 
uh, God spoke to me again and again through creation. If you are here this morning, we had uh, a memory verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. So God speaks to everyone through the creation. All you've got to do is look out of that window and see the beautiful world that God's made. The creation speaks of God's glory. Secondly, God speaks through our conscience. We know when we do wrong. And most importantly, God speaks to us directly. We've got his word open tonight uh, through the scriptures. So I was dead spiritually. I didn't listen to him. I didn't want to listen to him. I had no regard for him. Uh, And not only didn't I want to hear him, but I couldn't hear him. I was dead. Uh, I had about, about as much spiritual life as that frozen chicken. Now, I'll just pause here for a minute. For, for those of you who are, who are productive Christians, who are going out and you're speaking to people, and you're telling people about your trust of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and you're thinking, boy, I'm really explaining the gospel clearly. I'm preaching Christ crucified. I'm telling people about Jesus who died and rose again. But people just don't seem to get it. People don't get it. Why is that? Well, be encouraged. Paul says, remember, you're speaking with spiritually dead people. They're like walking corpses spiritually. They're dead. Uh, We need to keep on speaking about Jesus and praying that God would do a wonderful miracle to bring someone from death to life. It's the biggest miracle that can ever happen. So what does being spiritually dead look like? Well, Paul tells us, verse 2, Uh, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. So Paul says we were disobedient. Shamefully, I remember this all too well. I lived my life in active opposition to God. I didn't want to go God's way. I wanted to live my own way. And it's an ugly picture that we get here from the Bible. It tells us that we followed the ways of the world. So the direction that everybody's going, at one time, we were all travelling on that same road. The broad road which leads to destruction. Secondly, we we followed uh, another spiritual power. Do you see that in verse 2? Which encouraged disobedience towards God. We followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now who's that? Satan, isn't it? We follow the devil. Thirdly, uh, in uh, verse 3, we followed our sinful nature. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. See, our flesh, our fallen human nature, is in active rebellion against God. We're saying no to God. Uh, Our flesh is the word the Bible uses to speak of abject selfishness. All that mattered to us at one time, before we were a Christian, and maybe for you tonight if you're not a Christian, was our own self-centred world. Our world of indulgence and pleasure and our own ambition. Our bodies did what we wanted to do, our minds thought what they wanted to think, and we didn't care who we trod on or what we did to get what we wanted We were godless and subject to another power. We followed the devil. Scary thought, isn't it? To see that we followed the ways of the world, we followed Satan, uh, and we were ruled by our flesh. Paul says we were dead. It's evident by our disobedience. And as a result, verse 3, the end of verse 3, 
we were by nature objects of wrath. See, like everyone else, we stood rightly condemned by God. Paul says, not that we became sinners, but that we were born that way. That was our nature. Do you see that in verse 3? Our condition, our nature was inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. When they sinned, we sinned in them. When they fell in Eden, we fell with them. And as a result, the Bible says we're objects uh, of God's wrath, facing God's coming judgment uh, on the last day. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? Uh, We were dead, like a frozen chicken, uh, disobedient uh, and damned. But look at verse 4. This is probably the most amazing but you'll ever see in the Bible. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's amazing, isn't it? That God makes us alive. We've been resurrected from the dead. God's brought us back to life. The most amazing miracle that could ever happen has happened to you if you're a Christian here tonight. That's such an encouragement. Flick back over the page and look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And Paul prays, oh, he's got such a big heart for these Christians in Ephesus. Just picture him chained up in this prison cell, on his knees, behind bars. Verse 18, he says, um, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Who's that great power for? It's for you if you believe. That power is like the work of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand even in the heavenly realms. Just get this. That, that, that same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from death is the same power that's at work in you if you're a Christian here tonight. Isn't that incredible? What a great hope. What a great thing to be reminded of by Paul. God makes spiritually dead people alive. I wonder, do you know this power? Do you know this power that's at work? Uh, The power that raised the Lord Jesus is at work in you. It's a bit like, just imagine, giant defibrillator paddles. You know those things that people use to kind of bring hearts back to life, someone who's had a heart attack? So God brings this giant defibrillator paddle and kind of jump starts you back to life. That's the picture that we get here. God raises us, he shocks us back to life. And in doing so, he removes the veil from our eyes so that we can see the truth about God. It's like God brings us to the edge of eternity and we glimpse just a picture over and we we see God in his glory and we see who we are. We get a picture of who we are. We see who God and what he's done for us and we get a picture of who we are and we see that we desperately need God. But how does the Christian come to life? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. God chose us in him. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, God chose you in him. Say that again, God chose you in him. 
It's a very American thing to do, isn't it? I had lots of American lecturers at college. We don't like doing that kind of thing. We're British, aren't we? Um, but the Americans, they absolutely love it. Uh, thank you for bearing with me for that. And when did God do that? Well, in the words of uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he did that way, way back many centuries ago. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, you get the picture. Before we're even a twinkle in our mother's eye, before we're a twinkle in our mother's mother's eye, way, way back uh, before the creation of the world, God appointed me for salvation. God appointed you for salvation. Come back to verse 5 in our text. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our, trans- in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. It's amazing, isn't it? God's made us alive. His great love for us, right at the very core of the Christian message, is God's rescue. Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's God uniting us to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And can I say that union with Christ, union with Christ is probably the most important and amazing message that the church needs to hear today. It's, it's in our text here five times uh, in these verses. It says, in Christ, with Christ, with him. It says that five times in, in a number of five verses. It's so important, union with Christ. It's the most important teaching for you tonight to give you assurance that you've been accepted by God and that you're alive. And we need to grasp hold of it and cling to it tighter than we'd cling to a parachute if we had to jump out of a plane. Get this, if you love and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, then you've been united to Jesus. You're in Christ. And there is no safer place to be. So when Jesus died on the cross, his death was reckoned to be your death. When Jesus rose from the grave, his resurrection is your resurrection. This is a mystery that I'm talking about. It's a big thing to get our heads around. But when we place our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus. His death and resurrection becomes ours. He unites us to the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, uh, he illustrates it like this. He said, Christ, that rich and pious husband, takes as a wife a needy and impious harlot. He expands this metaphor of marriage and he basically goes on to say that everything that belongs to the rich husband becomes the poor wife's. Okay? So, uh, and everything that belongs to her, her poverty, her rags, they're his. They're united uh, together. So her poverty is swallowed up by his riches. She goes from having nothing, being absolutely poor, to having absolutely everything. Uh, what belongs to him belongs to her by their union, by their marriage union. I hope that makes sense. So when we're united to Christ, this is what Martin Luther called the joyous exchange. You see, Jesus takes our sin and we get Jesus' righteousness. Okay? It's a swap. Now this is a scary theological word, imputed righteousness. I'm going to put it out there. Big scary word. I know it sounds weird, but hopefully I'm going to explain what that means. Jesus' righteousness means Jesus' perfect law-keeping life. His perfect life and his perfect relationship with his Father. That's what Jesus has and what none of us have by nature because we're sinners. But his perfect law-keeping life becomes ours by this union with Christ. 
So uh, this, this, this righteousness is something that's outside of ourselves. It doesn't belong to us. It's what's called an alien righteousness. It belongs to Jesus. So Jesus has this righteousness and he clothes us in it as his people. Okay, it's amazing, amazing truth. It becomes mine by union uh, with Christ. So Sunday nights is called Going Deeper. I think we've just gone very, very deep. Um, so uh, I know that's a bit of a mystery. It's one to think about. Okay, union with Christ. It's, it is amazing. Keep on thinking about it. But by faith, Jesus brings his people into his relationship with his Father. Okay? So that's what union with Christ is. If you've got questions on that, which I'm sure you probably will have, and I've got questions on it, come and speak to me afterwards. I'll be happy to talk uh, more with you. But the joy is we get to share in a relationship that Jesus has with his Father, uh, that Jesus has. Um, so we're brought into a living relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're united uh, to Christ. So it's not just that our bank account gets levelled at zero. It's not just that we go from kind of being spiritually destitute or kind of minus figure with the money and we come up to zero but we're given everything we're given jesus righteousness it's amazing isn't it uh it's it's incredible so that's why you can have cast iron assurance if you're a christian here tonight if you're trusting in jesus you can be absolutely sure that you're destined uh, for glory your sin's been forgiven it's forgotten and forever you don't need to carry that burden around uh, like we were hearing this morning the Christian has Jesus' righteousness. Can you see why Luther called that a joyous exchange, this double swap? He gets our sin, we're clothed in his righteousness. So we go from being dead, God chooses us, he chooses to make us alive, we're united with Christ, and therefore we're accepted. Verse 6 and 7, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in, the, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So there it is, there again. Uh, with Christ, verse 5 and 6. With him again in verse 6b uh, and again in verse 7 and 10. How can I be sure that I'm accepted? Well, because God's raised us up with Christ. You're seated with him in the heavenly realms. Just remember that. You're seated where Christ is, that's where you are. You've been united to Christ. You've been raised in the heavenly realms by union with Christ. Where Jesus is, that's where you are. You've been raised and seated with him. How can I be sure I'm going to make it to heaven? Well, because Jesus left heaven for you. Where Adam fell at a tree, Jesus conquered at a tree. The father cast out his obedient son so that us disobedient people we may never be cast out. He forsook his son. He cast him out to the darkest place so that we might never be. And he brought us closer than we could ever dream to be born. He experienced poverty so that we might experience the full riches, the boundless riches in Christ. We were dead like a frozen chicken, but God's made us alive in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms. It's glorious. And what's made that difference? Verse 4 and verse 8. It's the mercy and grace of God. Nothing else. Nothing that you could do to earn it or deserve it. It's the sheer mercy and kindness and love and grace of God that brought you from death 
to life. There's a geezer called Hudson Pope and he explained the difference between grace and mercy like this. He said uh, some lads came to his, um, uh, his uh, he, had a, he had a field uh, and um, he had a greenhouse in this field and these lads walked through and they smashed up uh, his greenhouse and he caught hold of the culprits and he was so furious uh, and he, uh, he spoke to them. I can't imagine what he said. Uh, I bet it was pretty, uh, pretty aggressive when he started. But he said, he said to himself, I can either deal with these lads according to law or according to grace. And he said to deal with them by law would mean grabbing them, taking them to the police station and for them being prosecuted and punished for smashing up my greenhouse. But he decided against that. They rightly deserved punishment, but they'd not be getting it. That's mercy. They rightly deserved punishment, but they weren't going to be getting it. That's mercy, he said. Instead, they'd receive from him what they didn't deserve. He was going to give him his friendship. He was going to pay for the uh, the greenhouse to be fixed out of his own pocket uh, and he was going to spend time with them and he said that's grace so mercy is not getting what you do deserve and grace is receiving something that you don't deserve and the glory of the gospel is that we get both we get God's mercy and God's grace God has showered us in his grace He's given us forgiveness. We're accepted by him. We're united to Christ. We've been given this imputed righteousness. Big scary word. We've been adopted into his family. We're given eternal life with him. And the Bible says in verse 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Bible says even your faith is a gift from God if you're trusting Jesus that's a gift that you've been given it's by grace none of that originates from yourselves if it did you'd have something to boast about you'd have something to be proud about but it doesn't it comes from God even if there was just a little tiny smidge that we could do for ourselves we'd boast a mate of mine called Mark uh, his dad is notoriously bad at DIY. Absolutely awful at it. Uh, and he's so bad that when the electrician came to his, came to his house to uh, give him a quote for doing some work, he said, look, I'm going to do this work for you on one condition. You don't help whatsoever with what I'm going to do. So he agreed, and the sparky started doing the work. So he's chasing out the walls and putting wires in the walls and if you know what chasing out means, I don't really. Um, so kind of making holes in the walls and putting the wires in there. Fitted these nice new lights and, and he fitted a dimmer switch. He had a dimmer switch. Brilliant. So the day came for them to turn on these new lights. And uh, Mark's dad was really pleased. The family around. They're going to turn these lights on. And he stumbles and falls. And falls into the light switch and cracks the light switch off the wall, smashing the dimmer switch. And they can't turn the lights on. You see, if our faith, if salvation had anything to do with us, we'd mess it up. We'd get it wrong. We'd fail. We'd mess up. We'd muck up entirely. We categorically have nothing at all to bring to earning our salvation. The only thing we bring is our sin. Salvation is 100% God's work. It's by grace. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God, not by works. So we cannot boast uh, in our salvation. It's entirely God's gift to us. 
So how is it that you at one time could not believe and now you do believe? Well, it's grace. It's God's gift. It's his loving kindness. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he softened your heart so that you could believe and understand. He brought you from death to life. He opened your eyes to see who he is. He's united you to Christ so that you would never be lost. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus by way of application? How are you responding? Well, firstly, I think there's a warning here to the passive Christian. Here's here's the person. I'm cruising. I'm coasting along in the Christian life. I'm a Christian, but it's all but effortless. The engine's pretty much switched off. I'm just rolling along. Paul's warning you. He's warning you tonight. You've forgotten the Lord Jesus Christ. You've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten what he's done. The coasting Christian is a pathetic sight. You're not living the life that you've been saved to live. You're so engrossed in yourself and this life that you're blind to God and you're blind to his kingdom and you cannot see it. So the coasting Christian is entitled to no assurance at all. We can't tell and you can't tell uh, if you're a genuine Christian. For you're not doing the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do, verse 10. So this is a warning. What should I do if I were in your situation? Well, do not pass go. Do not collect 200 pounds. Repent. Go back to the gospel. Go back to Jesus Christ, where Jesus dies on the cross for your sins and is raised again uh, for your justification, that you might be active to do those good things that God prepared in advance for you to do. Not to earn God's favour, but in response to what God's done for you. Because... We've been saved. And we've got an enemy to fight. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Bible says we have the armour of God that we can put on to stand and fight. Please do read the rest of Ephesians and you'll get to the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Secondly, a huge encouragement to the productive Christian here tonight. If you're here wanting to be productive for God, longing to make progress in the Christian life. And it's hugely encouraging to know that everything that you need to do so, you've been given. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you who believe. So the, so the message from Ephesians as it goes on is to roll up your sleeves, put the pedal to the metal, go full throttle this week for the Lord Jesus Christ grow in your love and your knowledge of the Lord Jesus in response to what he's done for you because he's taken you from death to life. And it's a gift. It's a gift. God chose you not so that you could sit back and let go and let God. No, you've been called to live the life of a chosen person. And as a chosen person, we're to strive every day in the battle. We're to fight and grow and make war with our sin and the world, the flesh uh, and the devil. For the growing, working, productive Christian, well, they'll never fall away. You can be perfectly assured tonight.
Let's just take a moment and I'll pray for us. Jesus said, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it breathes life to our dead and spiritually dead bodies. Pray tonight that you'd give us great confidence, great hope in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that if we can hear your voice, we've been snatched and we're safe and secure in your hand. Give us confidence today and this week to live for you, striving with all your energy. Please be with us and come near us. In Jesus' name, amen.